That's good. All right, it's good to have each one of you present today for our Sunday morning Bible class period. On this holiday today, July the 4th. But there shouldn't be a holiday from Bible study and worship. All right? So it's good to have each one of you present today. It's good that we can be here today. All right, we are studying today in your books, lesson number five, page 46, in our study of Peter. And right now we're studying in the book of 1 Peter. And today the lesson is taken, as Michael read, from chapter 3. And the text is going to be verses 8 through 22 in 1 Peter 3. What's our, what's our topic today? <clears throat> Causes of suffering. Causes of suffering. Good text. Um, got some pretty familiar passages, I think, probably to all of us in this text today. Good admonitions, good advice. A little bit of it actually ties into the sermon today, uh, and I didn't realize that till I started studying the lesson, but it actually does. So look over at the introduction, first of all, there at the bottom of <clears throat> page 47. It mentions there, first of all, that Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 12, he said, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer what? Persecution. Is that true today? Absolutely. Just as true today as it was at the time Paul wrote it. Now, our persecution may be in somewhat different forms today, but that's still absolutely true. He goes on to say Christians will encounter opposition and difficulty and what's the reason for that? What we believe. What we proclaim, what we teach, what we live. In other words, as he says, our faith. Because of our faith. And he goes on to mention that that was a, a fact that Paul understood really well from his own experience. And why was that? At the time he wrote that passage there in 2 Timothy 3 uh, to Timothy, uh, he was being persecuted, suffering, no doubt, uh, in a Roman prison cell. So he knew what, what it was to be persecuted. Now over on the next page there at the top, it mentions, of course, that uh, early Christians, some of those early Christians... Um, had to even leave their homes and move away to another location because of the persecution that erupted to begin with where? In Jerusalem. Persecution arose in Jerusalem and uh, some of them were scattered is the term that the text uses. First Peter 1 Peter 1.6 says, All of them were grieved by various trials. So Peter is encouraging them and he encourages us to live in a manner, to live in a way that would withstand what? 
Criticism. Criticism from outsiders, those who aren't Christians, people outside the church, people who oppose what we believe and what we live. Um, he encourages us to endure suffering without what? Without getting back. Now sometimes it's difficult to do. Endure criticism and suffering and persecution without lashing out at somebody and paying somebody back and saying something cruel to them as they might have said to us or done to us. And he encourages us to trust God who has promised to bless those, as the text today says in verse 14, bless those who suffer for what? Who suffer for righteousness' sake. And if we're living the kind of lives that we ought to be living, that's going to happen. We're going to suffer in some way uh, for righteousness' sake. He mentions there the next paragraph, Matthew 5, verse 10. In that verse, Jesus declared, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, but theirs is what? And that makes it all worthwhile. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So those who suffer will not go unrewarded suffering for the cause of Christ. And he goes on, Jesus adds in verses 11 and 12, in Matthew 5, he says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So he goes on to mention there those who live righteously today and promote righteousness, as we said, we can expect, if we're living the way we ought to live, we can expect to have persecution of some kind, opposition. But as we read there, whatever opposition we face in this life is only going to be what? Temporary. Temporary. And our reward is going to make it all what? Worthwhile. Worthwhile. It's all going to be worthwhile. For a heavenly reward awaits those who remain faithful. And then verse 14 there in the text today, in 1 Peter 3, says that is why Christians should not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled. Because we should be thinking about our reward in heaven. He goes on to mention there in that last paragraph on 48, the bottom, <clears throat> in our world today, we may or may not face physical persecution. Now, are there Christians in the world who are facing that? Absolutely, right now. Uh, in different places, different countries, people are being persecuted physically in a physical way, imprisoned and other things done to them physically because of their Christianity, because of their beliefs. 
that probably that hasn't happened to probably any of us, but who is to say that someday it might not? It may be getting closer than we think. Absolutely. But he goes on to say, whether or not we are ever beaten physically, persecuted physically for our faith, there are other ways that we suffer, a lot of other ways that we suffer. And he goes on in that last sentence at the bottom, 48, to say, we suffer when we are canceled. We hear that word a lot today <clears throat> in the news media. What, what does that mean? The cancel culture. Don't want to hear anything about it. Try to remove any, any evidence of it. We're going to minimize this and not mention this and not talk about this and no reference to it. That's really what this term cancel there means. Minimize, he said, belittled or misrepresented. A lot of times Christians and Christianity gets misrepresented by people outside of it. So he says, persecution continues to exist today, and as we know, it has a lot of different forms. Sometimes physical, sometimes it's other forms, mental, um, but it exists. So in our text today, Peter, commentator says, points the way forward for us in the text in verses 15 and 16 that we'll We'll go back through and talk about it in a few minutes. Peter says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to do what? Give an answer to every man always be ready to give an answer, a defense to everyone who asks you, who asks you what? The hope that we have in Christ. A reason for the hope that is in you. And we should be able to do that <clears throat> with meekness and fear. What's the word meekness mean? Gentle. Gentleness. Sometimes people confuse meekness with weakness. But uh, it's not the same thing. Not the same term. Different definitions. Uh, gentleness. We can be <clears throat> strong in what we believe and strong in what we say. And we can do it with gentleness and we can do it with kindness. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be what? Ashamed of their actions. Ashamed of their actions. And that's, that, that can happen when we react and respond in the right way to persecution and criticism then that shames those who have done it, our good conduct in Christ. So he says there to notice the emphasis placed in our lesson text today on being dedica dedicated to fellow Christians, other Christians. Uh, he wants us to notice their proper conduct uh, that we'll see in the text today. And, of course, our dedication that we should have to Christ. So you might have any thoughts there or comments, questions about the introduction to the lesson? Yes. 
dealt with, that's what Ralph's talking about there, how uh, congregations uh, thought of as Christian congregations were advised to shut down, but other religions, that didn't happen. So that would be a form right there of persecution. That's, that's a good point, Ralph. All right then, so let's look at the text today, First uh, Peter 3. Um, Let's go back and read it. Michael read some of it, but we've got time, I think, to go back and look at it. So let's read 8 through 12 there in 1 Peter 3, and then we'll look at the commentary on it. Uh, verse 8 says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That's, that's a great text, great passage right there that we read. So look at the section there on 49, one mind. First statement there says, persecution seeks to do what? That's the ultimate goal of it. Stop the message of Christ from spreading and getting out and being proclaimed to others. That's the goal. And he goes on to say that was the goal of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high court, the Sanhedrin, when they first arrested Peter and John. This is recorded in Acts chapter 4. It's the account. Um, they admitted, what had Peter and John done that caused them to be arrested? Right. They had healed a man, and then they were arrested for that, and uh, the Sanhedrin could not deny that the apostles had performed a what? A notable miracle, it says there in, in, in verse 4. There was no way they could get around that. That was obvious they had performed a notable miracle by the power of God. Walking around, I mean, the physical evidence was right there in front of them, and other people saw it, uh, so they couldn't deny that. So here was their reaction to that. Remember, they're trying to stop the spread of the gospel. So the Sanhedrin proposed in verse 17 in Acts 4, but so that it, here it is, spreads no further, 
among the people, see they're trying to stop the spread of the gospel, let us severely threaten them that from now on, from now on they speak to no man in this name. So there we see their real goal, what they were trying to do. But did that, did that threat do any good? No. No, it did not do any good. But Peter and John and the other apostles, uh, the threats of the Jews did not stop their efforts at all. And so as soon as they were released from prison, Peter and John, in verse 23, went to their own companions, uh, other people in the church, and they reported what had happened to them, what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And what was the reaction then among the, the Christians? When Peter and John told them what had happened to them, their reaction, what did they do? same mind and their first reaction was really what our first reaction ought to be when we are in a situation like that. They assembled, they were assembled together and they prayed to God, says with one accord there in verse 24 in Acts 4. And then when that prayer was finished, the place where they were assembled together Chapter says, was shaken. <clears throat> they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So that episode with the Sanhedrin didn't do anything but probably strengthened, strengthened their resolve to speak and preach the gospel. So rather than quitting because of that episode of persecution, the apostles pressed forward, as Jimmy said, together. And that's the key right there, because there's strength in what? There's strength in unity and there's strength in numbers. They pressed forward together and they were united. So goes on to say there that Peter, Peter urged his audience uh, in our text today, his readers, Verse 8, to be of one mind, same idea, we ought to be united. Um, he says that phrase can also be translated in other versions. Uh, ESV translates that, have unity of mind. Another one says be harmonious, but same idea, to be united. Uh, verses 8 and 9 that we already read, Peter says, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, we ought to be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may, here's our reward, that you may inherit a blessing. So his point there is that Christians ought to support and help each other as, as we endure challenges and uh, persecution sometimes to our faith. Peter's admonition there, it says, not only reminds us that we are part of God's family, but he's also uh, stressing there how we ought to care for each other. We ought to love each other. In the last sentence there in that paragraph, 
is absolutely true. There is no place for what kind of behavior? Selfish. Selfish behavior in God's family. That's the church. No place for selfish behavior in God's family. And then Peter in the text quotes uh, out of Psalms 34, 12 through 16, and we read this already, but it's really good, good thoughts. Uh, he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. There's the tie-in of the sermon today that we're going to talk more about. And his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what? Who do evil. Who do evil. So the psalmist there is reminding us, his readers and us today, that the Lord takes care of his own. He rescues his own when they suffer. And he will judge those who are evil. He will judge the wicked. So the last sentence there in that section says, or the last two sentences, the way we react to persecution, how we react to persecutions that come our way, matters. Matters greatly. The last sentence, both our words and deeds should reflect our desire for what? Have peace and harmony as much as possible. So any thoughts there, comments about that first part of the text, first section, one mind? All right, then, let's look at uh, 13 through 17 on the section there, good conduct. So flip back and let's, let's read those verses. Verse 13, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So look there on 51 at the section there, good conduct. So Peter is addressing there how we ought to live before the world, in the world. In verse 13 he, he writes, and we read this, And who is he who will harm you? if you become followers of what is good. He goes on to say that statement was not meant to discount the threat of physical harm. So what's Peter really saying, do you think, in that, in that verse? Who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Because he's writing to people who had known persecution firsthand, personally, 
So what, what point there is he making? Commentator there says, likely, possibly, he is speaking in how? In a general sense. In a general sense, uh, we won't be harmed when we're following what is good, but there are plenty of exceptions to that. But that may be just a, a statement there made in a general sense. Uh, next page there at the top says, but how should Christians feel when they are persecuted, which is going to happen? And then Peter gives us the answer to that question uh, in verse 14 that we read. He says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are what? Blessed. That's what we ought to remember. When we, when we suffer for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of the gospel, uh, God blesses us. God blesses us. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. And he mentions there what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28. Jesus made a similar point. Uh, when he said, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to do what? Kill both. Destroy both soul and body in hell. That's where our fear ought to be. So human persecution, he says, wills no ultimate power. Like the apostles, uh, he says we ought to rejoice, as Acts 5.41 says, that we are counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. He goes on there in the next paragraph there on 52 to uh, say that we ought to take advantage of every opportunity to serve God and to honor God. And Peter makes that point then in verse 15 that we read. Peter says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready, as we said, to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. He goes on to mention there, and this is certainly true, that some people might, might hesitate to do that and hesitate to have a, a, a conversation with those who have opposed Christianity, uh, but we should not hesitate to do that. We ought to be able to give a defense for what we believe. He said we should be able to give an answer to everyone who asks us about our faith in Christ. We ought to be able to explain to others why we believe. Somebody finish what we believe. I wrote that little note down here at the bottom. That's really what, what the point is there. We ought to be able to explain why we believe what we believe. And next page there at the top on 53 says, if we answer our critics in the right way, the appropriate way, which is with meekness and fear, then verse 16 in the text says they may what? They may be ashamed. If we handle it correctly, then that brings shame upon them. Verse 17, regardless, uh, Peter says it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil, always. 
That's always true. Any thoughts there, questions about that part of the text today uh, on good conduct? All right, let's uh, look at the rest of the text today in 18 down through 22 in that section, Christ and us. Uh, verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water, there is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So flip over to 53 and look at Christ and us. And he begins with the statement there, those who suffer for their faith are not alone. When we suffer for our faith, we are not alone. Verse 18 that we read, Peter writes, Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. And here's a good statement. I put a little star by this one. No matter how difficult our circumstances in life may be, somebody finish. Jesus, Jesus endured more. Jesus endured a lot worse. Our circumstances will never become worse than what Jesus endured. Because he was totally, completely innocent. He lived a perfect life on this earth. And he voluntarily took the place of the guilty. And that's us. And that was done, 1 Peter 3.18 says, that he might bring us to God. So because of what he did, because of his suffering and death on the cross, we can be both, he says, accepted. And we have the possibility of forgiveness because he defeated death. We have hope. So over the next page, uh, top of 54, uh, he mentions then in 19 and 20, uh, we'll talk a little bit about this verse kind of quickly. Uh, Jesus also preached, Peter says, to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. Commentator there says that Bible scholars uh, don't always totally agree on the exact meaning of those two verses. Uh, anybody have any thoughts about there? What, what uh, Peter there is referring to with Jesus preaching to the spirits in prison? who formerly were disobedient. Then he refers back there to Noah and the ark. Just to say, you give two views there in the text there that Jesus preached 
Absolutely. Prove his victory over death. Jesus, uh, in a sense, was preaching through Noah, and we know that Noah preached righteousness. He mentions there Wayne Jackson's comedy, and he always has some good thoughts. Uh, whatever the passage teaches, it provides no justification for a second chance offer of salvation from Christ to those already being punished for their sins because that would contradict Jesus' own teaching about the non-passage of a person from the lost region of Hades that would be torments in Hades into the other state, which would be what? Paradise. Paradise. And we could go back to Luke 16 there in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus uh, when... Lazarus died, uh, his soul went to paradise, and when the rich man died, his soul went to torment, and you remember there was a great what? Gulf fixed between them, and there was no crossing from one to the other, so uh, that's what, that, what Wayne Jackson there is referring to, so that's, that's a good thought there. But he goes on to say this passage does identify a clear connection uh, this is easy to see between the flood of Noah's day and baptism. Uh, Peter writes there, verse 21, that we read, there is also an antitype. Now, what's an antitype? A what, Linda? Something similar, a comparison, something that compares to something else, an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, we know baptism is one of the elements that saves us, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, it's not the literal washing of the water off of our bodies, uh, cleaning our bodies, but it's the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The flood of Noah's day cleansed the world of what? All the wickedness. All the wickedness, and there was a lot of it, Noah's time. All the wickedness in the world, and here's the comparison. Baptism cleanses wickedness and sin from the, from the lives and the conscience of the one being immersed in the waters of baptism. So uh, the last part of that section says, uh, next page, we must not miss the emphasis placed on Jesus' resurrection, as Jimmy mentioned, he is now in heaven, Peter says, and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers, having been made subject to him. And those who suffer can rejoice knowing that Jesus reigns. On right, application down there at the bottom of 55, Peter wrote to individuals who face persecution. He urged them to treat one another properly, to live in an upright and faithful manner, to look to Jesus for strength and hope. Here's a good statement that we'll end with. No matter how bad things may be, Christians can and should do what? Keep on, keep on going. Persevere. Because heaven awaits the faithful. So time is about up. There's questions on the next two pages, but I think we've covered most of the answers. So anybody have any thoughts or comments, questions about today's lesson? All right, let's close today with a prayer. Father, we're thankful this morning for the time that we spend in our Bible study period together. Father, we pray that our, our thoughts and our comments and comments in, in the lesson have been 
correct and pleasing in your sight according to your word. And Father, help us to put into practice in our lives things that we gain and study and learn from our studies together. Father, be with us today in our worship period. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Be with us throughout this Lord's Day, throughout the coming week. Be with those today, Father, of our number who are sick, cannot be present. Be with others as well that we know of. Be with us today, Lord, and throughout the rest of our lives. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. 